My 20s were a decade of trying to figure out what in the heck was going on. We were told something is happening on the streets, so get ready, use your guns against the people. Whatever you do, as best as you know how to live into it, be full-hearted or just quit. Be full-hearted and quitting. Our lives are meant to make us feel very safe and very taken care of. And then what you end up feeling is you don't know yourself in unknown places. Guys, welcome back to the Ansons Podcast. This is season two. For those of you maybe just joining us, we've got a killer season in season one, and we're excited to be finally back into season two and rolling out some killer episodes. Yeah, don't forget to go binge listen. But anyway, today we have a treat for you. We've been waiting to connect with Bohush for quite some time. Not always easy to c- catch up with a friend who lives on the other side of the planet. But Bohush is a PhD in pastoral theology from Slovakia. We actually met him a number of years ago when he asked to come see our kitchen. In other words, he wanted to see behind the curtain of Ransom Tart, see how we live life, to discern whether or not what we were talking about was actually legit. Bohush has a really incredible story of Christianity under communism and his meetings in the woods, in secret, uh, secret police, his time in the military, his journey with the Holy Spirit, and then his work now as a layman with church leadership. There's some really incredible stuff in his story that I think you're going to get a lot out of. There's some audio glitches halfway through this episode. Don't worry, they don't last long. Just keep in mind that we were recording this from across the world. So when you hear a little blip from Slovakia. Just think how amazing it is that we were actually able to talk to Bohush. Enjoy the episode. Bo, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. It's an honor for me. (laughs) Oh, come on. It's a pleasure for us. I actually want to start with, I know you have a pretty wild story about what it was like to do Christianity, to do church under communism. I'm not sure that even Sam has heard that story. Would you talk a little bit about where you had to meet and how it had to be organized? Yeah, I mean, um, I spent half of my life almost uh, under the the communist regime, which is a regime that was uh, quite strict toward the church. And uh, basically the strategy of the communism was uh, to kill the church by many uh, different ways. And um, so it began in uh, 1945, right after the Second World War in my country. And I was born in uh, 1968, which was, I would say, uh, already pretty well uh, established, the whole communist regime. And uh, because I was born in a a small, tiny town in the Slovakian mountains, I would say um, it was not that uh, strict and difficult uh, as in a bigger city, but still, uh, because my mother was a teacher, those um, jobs were observed much more uh, deeply and and everywhere the secret police was uh, uh, watching people and trying to find those who are not uh, obedient to the regime. So um, for me as a kid, I was just born into this reality so we were like uh, going uh, for the church uh, uh, for for mass uh, 
not together as a family because this was dangerous. So going alone, each member of the family. My mother was not going to the church at all in in this town, but uh, she was uh, visiting the churches in the nearby villages where nobody knows her. So this was kind of like a normal setting for us. And we were told by the parents that uh, because of the regime, uh, we need to be uh, careful about uh, anything we do. But ev- everything that was allowed was just attend the church without any bigger participation, any showing uh, too much interest in it. And this kind of, you know, participating in the church life. So when I was getting older, you know, with all this uh, I would say communist uh, system and feasts and, uh, you know, all this uh, strategy in the schools and out in, 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 uh, in um, social life everywhere. Uh, I was um, getting into the thinking uh, uh, of the regime and uh, knowing that they, they are kind of uh, trying to uh, stop the church or even the kill the church. I, I began to hear the stories about, uh, you know, uh, secret priests uh, being killed and, and imprisoned here and there. But it was, mm, I, I couldn't say it was very hard. I was just born into the reality. So I was thinking this is normal. We just uh, being born in, in this uh, part of the world where, where the situation is like this. So we try to cope with it. And then, because we saw the, the regime as an enemy, we were trying to do kind of like a, a little war against, and the church was a perfect place <laughs> because uh, we could do something that was against this regime. So we slowly began to meet together and uh, trying to do what was forbidden, sink in the choir or do some uh, more meetings in the church. And because it was dangerous uh, for me as a teenager, this was like adventure. And uh, it gets even better when uh, I was when I was 13, 14, older guy uh, called me on my bike in the town and, and asked me whether I would like to join a, a secret group of young Christians. Uh, doing uh, retreats. So it was interesting to me. Uh, so I started. And then the meetings in a different places. I mean, every week in a different place. We didn't know the names. I mean, the surnames, just the names. No notes, no pictures. And praying in the church in the night. And the retreats we were doing in the forest. And uh, in the cottages lost in the forest. So uh, we get to use to this um, way of life so much that uh, we were just thinking this is because everybody was telling the communism is eternal. So we were thinking, okay, maybe God is uh, preparing us for this kind of like a gorilla war in the forest forever. So this was my, I would say, uh, teenagehood uh, up to early 20s where I had to join the military service uh, because this was um, uh, obligation in 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 the country in in the regime for two years. So uh, I spent my teenagehood uh, in such a setting, I would say. Well, it's such 
crazy stories to hear from a context that is very different and a country that's very different and a time that's very different. I'm wondering if you could elaborate on what you think the threat that communism perceived with the church meetings. Was it that they, like, they were okay with you going once a week to mass, but you couldn't show a lot more interest is what you said. So was it that they were there was a threat of kind of more gatherings, more organization outside of what they could watch and control? Or was there something inherent about faith that they wanted to keep uh, their fingers on the pulse of? What do you make of, of all of that? Yeah, I think that uh, you are quite right about them having control on, on the church life. Because, you know, we were the Christian country, the Catholic country for centuries. So when communism came, uh, I think they were wise enough that couldn't just they they couldn't just you know stop it uh, I mean in one night, so uh, they were thinking how to stop the whole uh, uh, life that was um, really I would say alive in in the church, and they have a certain strategy uh, in the whole society, uh, so they could implement the communism ideas into the people's lives. So I think that one of it was to separate the generations because the faith uh, is being passed from generation to generation. And if you get your faith from your father and, and from your grandfather, it is quite difficult to you know, persuade you to the different ideas. So the first step was to take out the man from a family so they offered them the jobs, uh, you know, the better pays somewhere further from the hometown. And uh, slowly the, the fathers left the families because of the money. And then they separated even the mothers because they were say, uh, the, the regime was saying that, okay, you can also earn as much as the men. So even the mothers could go to work. And we would take, we as a party, communist party, we take care of your kids as soon as possible. So they were, you know, like preschool or even uh, kindergartens from the age of six months. So uh, such a young kids were uh, put into these schools and the whole system. And then you were cut off this generation that could pass the faith to you. And I think that the, the reason why they were trying to limit the church life to the point that, that they have just one priest and, and few believers in the mass where even the priest was uh, often collaborated with the Communist Party or uh, he was controlled by, by them. And they could watch easily, there's a, f a small flock of, of believers with any other activity. But anything that was outside this setting was dangerous because uh, what was happening in the small meetings was that the, the, the faith was passed, was shared. And this was something that they, they wanted to stop. So I think that this was, you are very right, that this was very dangerous for them because they couldn't control it. And it was happening uh, when we were, uh, when we started to do these retreats in, in the forest, they couldn't control it because uh, it took like one or two weeks 
with a group of uh, 50 young people and uh, the faith was alive uh, like a fire. So this was very effective, very quick, very fast. And it was spreading like a, like a forest fire. Uh, and and the, it was not anything special, any big speakers or any, I would say, especially holy men. But the fact that, that people could share the faith in a small group and they could pray together was so... Um, effective and so alive that the, the faith was like bursting very quickly in a few days and people were putting their lives, uh, surrendering them to Jesus very quickly. And this was very effective with the young generation. So I think this was very, very dangerous for the communist regime. Yes, you guys were the most effective counter-revolution in many ways imaginable. and. It seems like you guys then faced a really surprising challenge. You had become used to being guerrillas, uh, uh, conducting kind of a covert operation and a covert war. And then all of a sudden, uh, the communist regime folds. What was that season like for you? Yeah, this was uh, really a big surprise for all of us. Because, you know, we, we were so used to this uh, situation that, and, all, and even the isolation of my country was so really strict, so, so heavy, this iron curtain was really working that we, we just didn't know that there is any other life existing somewhere else. So um, when the revolution came, I was at the military service and in the army, these rules are even um, harder. So uh, for me, it was a quite a tricky situation because, you know, in all such a situation, the army is the first, in the first line, the front line, against the revolution. So we were told something is happening on the streets, so get ready, uh, you will use your guns against the people. And uh, I mean, it was quite dangerous situation. And we were thinking a few days, OK, what is going to happen now? I mean, we are definitely not going to uh, uh, shoot to the people. But it was so quick and so gentle that in a few days, everything was upside down and, and they couldn't use the army as a weapon. And... Um, so we came back and suddenly the situation changed so dramatically that we were, how to say, quite uh, helpless and, and, and um, shocked by the opportunities and doors. They were suddenly open for us. Many strange discoverings happened. For example, one of the strangest was that the guy that was leading us as a small group, and it was like a spiritual father for me, and I, I thought it was just a normal guy working in a factory, appeared to be a priest, secret ordained priest, and uh, suddenly from a guy that was every week, uh, you know, sometimes even more often together, we play football, we, we do all the stuff together, you learn that this is a the priest or the priest and you were uh, looking back in all those years 
and just thinking, okay, yeah, he was like behaving like a priest. How couldn't I see that in, in him? And it was so nice that we formed such a strong relationship, which is, I think, not really possible in these days because, uh, you know, this gap between the hierarchy and laity and between the priest and, and the layman is somehow naturally created and it's not really possible to have such a strong relationship as I have with, with these guys and with Father Michaels especially. And I, I would say what was meant to be a, a curse in a communist time that they were, I mean, not allowing uh, the priests to, uh, to do their public ministry appeared to be a, a special fruit of the communist regime that we were able to create such a strong bond, such a strong relationship that is uh, really uh, closer than a brother. And from these relationships, we could uh, start right after the revolution to do the ministry together, which is when now I'm traveling to Europe and even in the world, still quite a unique situation that we could do such a partnership in the mission and in all ministry, uh, priests and laymen together. So uh, this is a, a strange gift of communist time, I would say. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a funny thing to say, for sure, the gifts of the communist time. I, I'm yeah. struck by the difference, uh, like your mid-20s as you finish your time in the army and as communism is falling, is that right? Yes, yes. I know that guys here as we're about the same age. We're typically uh, graduating from colleges and universities and entering job markets. And there's this feeling of uncertainty and kind of what comes next. And that contrasted with you exiting the army, the Iron Curtain has fallen, communism is is gone, and you have to choose what to do next. It feels like I've been using the word uncertainty wrong this whole time. Like that truly feels like a very different context of I mean, what do you do next? I'm, I'd love to hear what made you as a young man just naturally, or maybe it wasn't naturally, maybe, I, I'm, what was your thought process in, okay, here's what's just happened. This has been something that's been so influential to making me come alive and interact with people that now I'm going to do this with my life. What, was, what felt like it was pulling you along in that time? Yeah, I mean, you are right when, I mean, thinking um, the situation from, you know, from today's view seems completely crazy. And even uh, now having a kids in their 20s, the, our older ones are in, in their 20s. So it is sometimes uh, difficult to help them to discern the situation because, you know, trying to think about m my uh, time of, of decisions or the, I mean, the twenties. It is really completely different, although not in a in a real sense, because this uncertainty is always at the table. Uh, maybe different ways, different uh, situations, but it's like a challenging time uh, from God to do a right decisions. And uh, yeah, I was I was finishing the military service. I was coming home. And suddenly the whole new situation appeared not only in our church 
setting and and in our life but also uh i was thinking okay what what is my life uh, calling and for vocation i was thinking about doing something for the church because you know these years of of uh, doing these retreats in the forest put a fire in my heart that maybe god is calling me to do something for him but the only way in the catholic church in in those years was the priesthood and because the priesthood was almost impossible so i was thinking uh, and asking god why you are giving me this desire when everything is forbidden you know impossible difficult dangers and things like this and and suddenly these obstacles were uh, gone but at the end of the military service i felt very strongly completely new direction to towards the marriage and i immediately knew who is the woman that i should marry so it was a strange I love <laughs> situation that. so so i i decided i make a decision in front of the lord and uh, there in the army barracks and then write a letter to my parents that i'm going to marry this girl and then write a letter to the girl <laughs> to my future <laughs> wow. wife isn't that, isn't that a little backwards <laughs> yes, it was, but you know, because I was telling my parents, okay, I'm when I finish the army, I'm going to to the seminary to be a priesthood. So I I needed to, I mean, explain them what is the change of the direction, and it was not that easy with with uh, with Alena, with my wife, uh, to you know to really show her that I'm serious about it, but. Uh, so that was uh, one part of it. So uh, my uh, searching for the for the life calling. But then, when we somehow solved this, okay, that we are going to be together. Then another huge, um, I would say, challenge was okay. What we should do together? What we sh- what what is the next step? Uh, we were thinking about the marriage, but what about the the life, the job, and things like this? And uh, sitting together because we were in the very small, in the same small group together with my wife for years. So we had known each other for years, and also Father Michael. We were all together, so we sit together and 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 told him, "Hey, listen, we all, I mean, both have desire to serve, but we also have a desire to to marry each other, and what we should do." And he said. Okay, so let's first solve the marriage. <laughs> and then he said, I can see the, the, uh, the possibility and opportunity to, to do ministry, to continue the ministry with the, with the young people in the church. But I have no idea how you could do it uh, because there are no money, no place to, to join. And he as a priest was leaving his uh, factory and going back to the destroyed monastery. Blaine was here and, and, uh, and your father was here. And uh, in that time, the monastery was like a ruins. So he was coming back, trying to rep- repair the monastery and began his priestly life normally as a, as a priest. And, and he said, I can offer you a lot of work, but no money. And uh, we decided with Alana that we should 
try it. We should risk it and uh, go for desire that God was putting into our hearts. So we decided to, for me to work here in the monastery for free and leave from Alena's uh, salary as a teacher for a couple of years at the beginning of the marriage. And this was start. So it was very simple. I mean, money-wise and, and uh, even thinking about the future, we were not having a big dreams because uh, it was complicated. But we were feeling that really this God, God's call over our lives to serve him somehow continues to, to be very alive in our lives. And this was the way. I mean, there was no way, but this was the, the first step. And uh, now when I'm looking back, I, I, I often say that where, where there was no way, God created the way for me as a layman to really work full time for the church, being paid by the church. And, uh, and I could do, even as a married man, uh, what I was dreaming of, uh, to serve God, uh, fully and to do missions. So even now when I'm, you know, sharing what I'm doing, people are asking, is this possible in the church? Is it possible even in the Catholic church? And I say, I don't know, but I'm doing, I've been doing this for 25 years. So <laughs> it is. <laughs> it, is. So it is for you. I love that story. I remember that actually the intersection between the ordained ministry and the lay ministry is something that you've spent a lot of time thinking about and even reading into. And I'd love to talk about that a little bit. I know that eventually you decided to go pretty deeply into some further education about the church and about lay ministry. When did that happen? Yeah, we have been, uh, you know, forming kind of like a missionary community uh, right from the beginning. So when uh, maybe after 10 years of ministry and establishing quite a strong uh, community here uh, in the monastery, I began to have more and more conversations about, okay, you are not priests, you are not uh, monks, why you are doing what you are doing? I mean, people were very thankful and uh, uh, satisfied by the fruits of the ministry, but they were asking, what is the role? Why this is you as a lay people, why you are doing this? And uh, when we were thinking uh, as a teenagers about this kind of job or ministry or working together, it was like, uh, you know, a different cosmos, different planet about for us. Uh, the future that is not uh, never going to happen. But suddenly we could do it. And we are thinking, okay, so now the church, what is the the, the thinking of, of the church about this, what we have here? We were so isolated that we were thinking, okay, maybe we are a little bit crazy because of the situation, because of the regime, and we need to... Uh, somehow uh, correct our ways according to the church teaching. So this was kind of like thinking when I was, uh, was beginning to enter the study again. I studied theology at the beginning, and then after 10 years, 
I I was um, thinking about continuing it, and uh, so I end up um, studying uh, pastoral theology, which is um, something like practical theology uh, in uh, Poland, in Lublin, which is uh, one of the famous uh, Catholic universities in, in the region. And I met a professor who uh, was a very uh, interesting guy. Uh, in that time, he was a, a pre-rector of, of the whole university. And I told him, uh, I am a layman, a father of four kids, and I would like to uh, do a PhD in uh, in the area of pastoral theology. And I was thinking about uh, men's ministry because uh, in that time I was very much in uh, in your father' books and and the whole idea of men's heart. And you know, I was telling him how I was uh, uh, interesting and and deeply in all the the area of the manhood. And he was giving me some question, and then he said, I am not sure about it, whether we have enough material for such a PhD staff in, 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 in this. But he decided to come to Podolinets and, and spend a week here. And he was watching what we were doing, uh, my family, the monastery, the community. And at the end of the week, he said, okay, I will lead you in this PhD with one condition, that you are going to write about what you do here, about you know the community, missions, lay and priests together in mission and all this stuff. So I was shocked at first, but then when we began to work and I began to study, it was very rejoicing time and um, uh, releasing, I would say, time when I was reading that this kind of thinking has been in the church uh, for centuries and, and was very underlined uh, in the uh, Second Vatican Council, which was 60 years ago, the last general council of the Catholic Church. And they were, uh, the documents were saying the future of the church is only in the cooperation, partnership between the priest and lay people in the church. So suddenly I uh, learned that what we had been doing in, in the forest, in the communist time, and thinking that we were crazy, was at the very heart of the church uh, already for some decades, and and it was expressed in the documents. So God was like... Come on, uh, that must have been so validating. Yes, yes, it was very validating and it was so releasing and relieving that we could suddenly, because for years we have been thinking or feeling that we are somewhere at the edge of the church, even, you know, over the edge. But And, and suddenly you feel that you are in the very heart of the church, so it, which was very good feeling. <laughs> relieving, beautiful, validating... Oh, that must have been yes, yes, huge, and it's something that you've now continued like up until today, right? Yes, yes, uh, we are still here. I mean, uh, everything is very fragile because it's not like a structure in the church. Because you know, tomorrow uh, the situation here in the monastery could change, and we 
we will be fired and and say we don't need you anymore but even in the, in the in the order we are cooperating with uh, the redemptorist order on a general level we i have just spent uh, the whole week in february with the general of the of the order which is the main guy main boss from vatican and we were talking about what we do and uh, he was very excited and he said even in in the order there is thinking about the future of the monks that the monastery could survive only when the monastery will be open for the lay people and we can continue our missionary work only in a way that we will work together with the lay people so it's not just anymore our local thinking or our local experience but it it seems it's a general move in the uh, catholic church that we are lucky to be in and i think that this is the, the gift of god that uh, without any knowledge without any connections god was leading us in these dark times by his spirit and and by his um, you know directions to the place where we can uh, really see that we are in the very heart of the church so and now we can do it not only for myself and for my generation but even our kids um, they are part already part of the fellowship as you are with your father and uh, clara my daughter is preparing for a mission to kenya in uh, in a week time they are leaving for uh, two months missions and that so they are like taking our job further and uh, the younger generation is is continuing uh, to do this so i'm very happy it's so cool I know that over time, Jesus has continued to show you things that you have brought in to your worship and your time together. Specifically, I'm thinking of, you know, as you've kind of brought in hearing the voice of God and then brought in, you know, worshiping in, in new ways, including flags and, and such. I was, I'm curious about, in your little community, what thing have you realized you needed to incorporate into your faith that you thought would get the most resistance when you introduced it to your family and friends? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's a part of the whole package that um, either you are open for the Holy Spirit and then there are no limits and there are always uh, uh, some surprise and even even uh, huge surprises or you are closed and then you can live your uh, controlled uh, peaceful life <laughs> i would say because um, when we were trying to follow god's voice god was always challenging us with the bigger challenges uh, that were you know much much bigger than we were able to contain and able to understand. So right from the beginning, after the revolution, he was sending us uh, people from the abroad. They were speaking about mm, the things that we have never heard. And then, uh, not only in the area of worship, but in uh, many different areas, but especially for us, the area of worship was very, very new. And um, 
I am always amazed uh, how God is so faithful in, in this because in our uh, financial economical situation, it is impossible to invite somebody to just be with us. But God was so faithful to send us people uh, that are very important in the area. And what I see God was trying to do was to bring a little streams from uh, the place where the life is and to join them to our little streams so the river could become bigger. And um, I really feel this personally, that anointing that God is putting over the life of a person, anointed person, is so unique that uh, I really believe that God can, can share this or pass this anointing through the hands of, of the person to, to the others. And this is the first and, and the main reason why I'm trying to, to reach people uh, like your father is among them and, and uh, many others. Uh, you know, Jeremy Leader from, from Bethel Church was here and we are very good friends. And, and next week for the Pentecost Sunday, Brian Dirksen is coming to Podolinets. Come on. For the very same reason, <laughs> yeah, I was trying, I, I have been trying for years to get him here. And because I really believe that what was stolen by the communism, God is going to replace by the blessing and anointing uh, that was hidden or, you know, forbidden for us. And uh, when I'm bringing these people into into the area and in, among the people, I really pray that they would release uh, the blessing and anointing that we need, because we are still in need to get free from uh, the bandages of communism. It's still real, it's still working, the, the chains are here, and, uh, and we uh, ourselves are not able to even see it. I remember your father, uh, when he was here, and after a few days, he said, hey, listen, I, I just feel the, the like a heavy cloud over you, over this place. And, and I was asking myself, I, I don't feel it. It's, we are so used to this that we even uh, are not able to see it. So we need a help from the outside to show us there is a better life. There is a bigger anointing. There is a bigger blessing. You can reach it. And, and sometimes we need a, a hand of a brother that would that we could uh, hold and and he could lead us uh, to a different level of the of the life. So this is the reason why I believe for exchanging the lives between the denominations, between the traditions, between the the different cultures. And if this is happening, God can uh, enrich us so much. Mm, I love that. Uh, this is going to maybe be a strange question, but I'm curious what advice you might have if you could go back in time, knowing what you know now and having experienced what you've experienced. If you could meet 25-year-old Bo, what you might tell him about what he needs to think for the future or just the kind of the one thing he needs to know, what would you say to your younger self? <laughs> it's a difficult question. Um, yeah, I would 
I would I would definitely tell him to be really faithful in uh, in prayer and in uh, searching and following God's voice, because this is the most important um, thing you you would need or you you have to do in your life to to have a good life and and to be happy because uh it's it is so difficult to discern the chaos around you in the world that you know to get wisdom from some studies or some books it's it's a long way so uh, i'm not uh, saying anything about the studies about the books against the books but um i'm thinking that uh, really we need a supernatural uh, leading uh, from god to 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 do a good decisions so i would uh, advise uh, such a young man to be faithful in prayer and to really look for and and search for and try to discern as clear as possible the god's voice in your life and then uh, have a courage to to follow even in in um, the situation that the, you can cannot see any way but i think that god is really a wild god and he likes to do uh, the way where is where there is no way and uh, as a church in these uh, days we need really new fresh ways of uh, relationship with god relationship between each other and um we need to be creative. So I believe there are many, much more people called to do the, and to walk unwalked path than than in the past. So um, yeah, I would encourage uh, them not to be afraid to follow God, uh, however strange uh, the calling uh, seems to be. And then uh, not to complicate life too much. So, uh, you know, read right books, uh, spend uh, your time with right people because um, you could uh, complicate your life very easily. And then uh, the solving the problems could take your whole life often. My last question would be, where have you most recently stepped into the advice that you would give your younger self? What is the most recent thing that, just a story where God has actually told you to do something that you kind of wish he hadn't actually told you? It would have been easier if you didn't hear that particular piece of information. Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I don't regret anything, even in the areas where I felt you know, quite heavy in heart, especially uh, being honest, the situation uh, still among the hierarchy and the lay people here in the country, in the Catholic Church, is not easy. Uh, we, um, I would say myself personally, I'm hurted by, by the approaches of the priests or, or the bishops here, uh, which sometimes made me think... Uh, Oh, maybe uh, I shouldn't do this. I I I, I should uh, have a normal job and not uh, 
you know, carrying these wounds or uh, getting these wounds. But uh, I'm not regretting this because uh, God uh, allowed me to see a bigger picture that this is not just, uh, you know, the the whole church and the the situation. Uh, So I could could see over. But um, I would say that what I think I would... I, I would like to see uh, myself to be more faithful, uh, to be fully faithful to to the small things God is calling me to is uh, that guarding my time carefully because uh, my time is limited. And when I'm getting older with all the, you know, the physical difficulties and limitations, I'm realizing this more and more that my time is limited and I'm wasting so much time just, you know, reading or uh, hearing or watching the rubbish stuff, uh, let's say on Facebook or internet or TV or things like this. So um, God is uh, giving me a small, really easy points or or directions, which makes many things very much more easier and when i'm obedient this my life gets into the order and i feel in peace with god in peace with myself in peace you know in one piece i would say Mm. if i'm not obedient to this simple very little advice i'm losing time i'm losing energy and uh, and you know my next day is disturbed you know upside down, things like this. And sometimes I'm asking myself, this is such a simple thing, such as, I would say, even the silly advice. Uh, and uh, getting older, I understand that God is not a uh, God that is always putting a huge, big words, big, you know, uh, uh, words of fire on the wall and, and big challenges. Uh, this is not... Maybe from time to time, maybe once in life, such a situation could happen. But much more often in everyday life, there are small, gentle, uh, even the whispers in your ears. But they are so vital that they could decide about your day, your the whole year or the, the whole season of your life. So I wish I could I could be more faithful in this. And I think I could avoid many bad days and difficult situation when I really obey these simple advices uh, from God. Yes, that's actually such a game changer. And I love what you're saying about uh, it's so personal that yes, in the massive trajectories of our lives, God is deeply involved, but he's also very interested in who we're becoming, as we like to say, moment to moment. And mm. the cu- the way in which we interact with the things that are right in front of us is something that Jesus views as kind of one of his primary concerns. So I love what you're calling attention to there. Guys, thanks for dropping by and listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it today. If you want to keep tabs on us and what other projects we've got going on, the best way to do that is to follow us on social media. If you are no longer on social media like some of us, don't panic. You can still keep tabs on what we're up to. Just go to ansonsmagazine.com 
Join our mailing list and we'll keep you in the know. And while you're there, be sure to read the magazine. 